illuminating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It is Tuesday. It is January the 16th, 2024. It may be Taco Tuesday in some parts, but I actually had enchiladas for dinner. And this is kind of my dessert, talking to you guys, and I'm so glad to be with you. 888-914-9149 is a toll-free line to call and talk to me for free. The reason why it's free, because it is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. 888-914-9149 is the number to call, and you can also follow me on the X app, which is, of course, owned by Elon Musk. We're going to be talking about Musk. He's always in the news going to be talking about him uh, in just a couple moments. I think you're going to find this really intriguing. You can find me on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And of course, of course, don't forget that you can email the program. You can become a shadow producer. Send me show ideas, a link that you might think I'll find interesting. Try, and the email address is, I was going to go with the phone number for the email. That would be really weird. But uh, my, my email address is... Kale, C-A-L-E, at RelevantRadio.com. So, yeah, I think I need to wake myself up with some high-octane. Don't worry, it's not like a monster energy drink or anything like that. I've never had an energy drink. I've never, I, I, I'm all, I'm scared of them. I'm scared I'm going to go into cardiac arrest. They're, they seem a little bit too potent. I will stick with my caffeinated beverages and, and straight-up coffee. I've got an espresso. I've got my diet cola. I'm not going to say which one it is until I get a sponsorship for that, too. Um, just kidding. And I've got you. That's that's the most important thing. 888-914-9149. Well, speaking of uh, Elon Musk, one of the interesting books that I've been reading, I read some pretty good books over the past year, and I wonder whether you guys, what's your favorite book of the past year? This is something that we should maybe talk about. Fiction, nonfiction, faith-related, maybe business related anything if you read something that you thought man that's that's a winner i need to tell kale about this i need to tell the listeners about this let me know triple eight nine one four nine one four nine but elon musk's biography by the great walter isaacson who of course wrote the book on steve jobs literally a few years ago benjamin franklin da vinci he's written a lot of great biographies uh walter isaacson has well i finally got my hands on a copy of the Elon Musk biography, 25% off at a certain big box store, which I will not mention. Uh, but yeah, I, I shop big box stores. Who doesn't? And uh, got a good deal. Got a good deal. Couldn't pass it up. And um, I, I'm a, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of torn about physical books as opposed to digital books. It kind of depends on what it is. If it's worth owning and having, I, I definitely got to have a physical book. I, I just, I'm kind of analog that way. But Really interesting passage early on in the book, and I haven't gotten too far in the Elon Musk biography, but he had an existential crisis when he was a kid. And I wanted to share this with you because you may have gone through something similar. You may have known somebody else who has gone through a similar type of um, intellectual struggle. This is in chapter four of the book, and it talks about his childhood in Pretoria, South Africa in the 1980s which was, of course, the greatest generation, the greatest decade, Generation X. Maybe that's why he called it X, Maybe because he's Gen X. I don't know, but don't mess with Gen X. That's all I have to say. Anyways, um, let's get to the account. Here's what Walter Isaacson says happened when, when Elon Musk was a kid. Check this out. 
Quote, when Musk was young, his mother started taking him to Sunday school at the local Anglican church where she was a teacher. It did not go well. <laughs> she would tell her class, I guess she was the teacher, Elon's mom. She would tell her class stories from the Bible and he would question them. What do you mean the waters parted? He asked. That's not possible. When she told the story of Jesus feeding the crowd with loaves and fishes, he countered that things cannot materialize out of nothing. Having been baptized, he was expected to take communion, but he began questioning that as well. He said, quote, I took the body and blood of Christ, which is weird when you're a kid, he says. I said, what the heck is this? Now, I slightly sanitize that for you. What the heck is this? Is this a weird metaphor for cannibalism? End of quote. May Musk, and that's Elon's mom, former fashion model. May Musk decided to let Elon stay home and read on Sunday mornings after he made all these complaints. All right, so Isaacson continues. His father, who was more God-fearing, told Elon that there were things that could not be known through our limited senses and minds. There are no atheist pilots, he would say. And Elon would add, there are no atheists at exam time. But Elon came to believe early on that science could explain things. And so there was no need to conjure up a creator or a deity that would intervene in our lives. When he reached his teens, it began to gnaw at him that something was missing. Both the religious and the scientific explanations of existence, he says, did not address the really big questions, such as, where did the universe come from, and why does it exist? Physics could teach everything about the universe except why. That led to what he calls his adolescent existential crisis. I began trying to figure out, he says, what the meaning of life was and what the universe was, and I got real depressed about it. Like, maybe life may have no meaning, end of quote. Like a good bookworm, he addressed those questions through reading. At first, he made the typical mistake of angsty adolescence and read existential philosophers, such as Nietzsche, Heidegger, and Schopenhauer. This had the effect of turning confusion into despair. Elon says, I do not recommend reading Nietzsche as a teenager. Fortunately, he was saved by science fiction, that wellspring of wisdom for game-playing kids with intellects on hyperdrive. He plowed through the entire sci-fi collection in his school and local libraries, then pushed the librarians to order more. And then uh, Isaacson goes on to talk about what some of his favorites were in terms of sci-fi. Uh, Robert Heinlein's The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. It's a novel about a lunar penal colony. Um, Isaac Asimov's Robot Stories and, and Hey, speaking of robots, the Optimus bot, as I mentioned yesterday, if you, I posted a video of this, by the way. I reposted it on my ex account. Uh, an Optimus bot folding the laundry. Super useful, and that could get me out of a lot of stuff. So uh, I, I think I might want one. But they're, they're going to be pretty pricey, but they're hopefully going to be pretty useful. At any rate, he eventually glommed onto The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, uh, full confession here, I, that's one I have not read. I know it's a cult classic. I know a lot of you guys love that book. I have not read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is a story involving a human named Arthur Dent who is rescued by a passing spaceship seconds before Earth is destroyed by an alien civilization. A lot of chatter about aliens now. That is building a hyperspace highway. 
So anyways, you know what the book's about. If you have uh, read that, I have not. But I, I really want to focus on Musk's existential crisis because, unfortunately, uh, he, he seems like he didn't have full information on certain things when he was younger. And, and maybe he has now. Maybe he's done more reading. I don't know. But I certainly believe that uh, he has um, raised some good questions that a lot of other people uh, have raised as well. So it's interesting, this, this whole mention of when he was in Sunday school as a kid, uh, his mom, May Musk, trying to teach Bible stories, obviously the parting of the Red Sea. And we dealt with this on the Exodus series of the Faith Explained program. And when he, when he hears about this, Elon Musk says, what do you mean the water is parted? That's not possible. Um, the feeding miracles of Jesus, the loaves and the fishes, hey, things can't materialize out of nothing. So, hey, well, what about the doctrine of creation ex nihilo? creation out of nothing. We, we certainly buy into this in the Catholic Church. So, hey, if, if God exists, he can do whatever he wants, right? Um, he was baptized, so he is a, he's a Christian. If he, got a, if he got a legit Christian baptism, which he would have had in the Anglican Church. And by the way, the Anglican Church is called the Episcopalian Church in the United States. It's the same thing. But he was expected to take Anglican communion and he says, quote, I took the body and blood of Christ. And he was sort of saying, what is this, cannibalism? Well, he didn't actually receive the body and blood of Christ because the Anglican Church does not have a valid Eucharist. And this is something that Cardinal Newman, uh, St. John Henry Newman, when he converted, he was the most famous convert from Protestantism in the world uh, in the 19th century. And, and, he, and he noticed this, even when he was an Anglican, he was like, I know they say it's the body and blood of Christ, but what do they do with the excess communion, quote-unquote, hosts after the Anglican services? Well, they dumped them in the trash. And Newman saw this, and he's like, no, 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 this cannot be the real thing. And this is one of the things that got him thinking about the Eucharist, thinking about the Catholic Church. So uh, it's interesting that this rejection of the miraculous by young Elon Musk and and he's right. He, he noted that that physics, although they can explain how things, physics and, and other sciences can explain how things work in the universe. And certainly Musk has harnessed that knowledge in SpaceX and in his other ventures. But he, he's right to note that it can't answer the, the question of why, the question of meaning. Why am I here? For that, we need philosophy. We need religion. We need the big, big ticket item questions answered by those disciplines. So, and of course, theology is known as the queen of the sciences, as you know, the science of God. But I want to talk specifically about uh, his existential crisis with respect to miracles, because I, I don't think he's alone amongst modern people when it comes to that question. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 So again, a quote was from Walter Isaacson's biography on Elon Musk, published by Simon & Schuster, recently released. Okay, so when, when it comes to miracles... Um, Really, there's two camps of people in the world. At, at the end of the day, there are people who reject miracles, kind of like Musk did at that time in his life, when he basically says, that's not possible. It's just not possible. The waters can't part. If you reject miracles a priori, and you say, I just, these are, I'm just going to rule these out as impossible from the very beginning, without even checking out the evidence, that is one group of people. There is another group of people in the world, which is also sizably large, that miracles, in fact, are possible, and we have to look at the evidence. Well, when it comes to the New Testament, when it comes to the Gospels, there really isn't much left if you take out the miraculous. 
there are, t- and I could, I could list them all for you. I could enumerate them all for you. I'm not going to do that in the interest of time, but there are 27 miracles wrought by Jesus in the Gospels, in the New Testament. And so you really, without, you have to pretty much throw the baby out with the bathwater if you're going to, if you're going to excise the miraculous from the scriptures. And by the way, people have tried to do that. I, I've talked to you guys before about President Thomas Jefferson, the famous Jefferson's Bible, where he, you know, in the days before digital and the days before cut and paste, he had to do some old fashioned cutting and pasting. He took an exacto knife and some crazy glue and he literally cut out every verse in the New Testament that smacked of the miraculous. Because he also ruled it out a priori. He was kind of a, a deist. He sort of, he did kind of believe in God, but he just sort of saw God as a cosmic watchmaker, as a lot of the founding fathers were deists, that God just created the universe, wound it up like a great watchmaker, calibrated it, set it, and forget it. Just let it go, and then see you guys, I'm out of here. Not involved in day-to-day life. So he, he, he cut out with an exacto knife everything smacking of the miraculous in the New Testament and, and basically concocted his own Bible, which became known as Jefferson's Bible. Let me tell you, he had to do a lot of cutting, folks, a lot. Uh, there was a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor because you can't get near the historical Jesus of the Gospels without the miracles. So he did 27 miracles in the Gospels. 14 of those were healings. Five of the uh, miracle accounts in, in the Gospels are exorcisms that Jesus um, did. Yes, exorcisms are kind of counted as, as miraculous as well. Three accounts of Jesus raising someone from the dead. And then there are five miracles involving Jesus' control over nature. Think the stilling of the storm, multiplication of the loaves, etc., etc. So you've got, it's kind of, kind of poetic. One way to remember this is 27 books in the New Testament 27 miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. So you can't get near, you're going to have to do a lot of excising of these texts unless you're prepared to consider these seriously. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Do, do modern people actually believe in miracles? If you were to poll modern people, what do you think the percentage of people is that actually believe in miracles? Are most people like Elon Musk saying, ah, oh, these, these aren't possible? Or do modern people, smart people, College graduates, university graduates, people with PhDs, doctorates, professionals in their fields, whatever. Do they believe in miracles? I'll have the answer for you after this really quick break. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Be right back. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Kale a call at 888-914-9149. I love that song. And that's actually what it's called. It's called that song. Anyways, you got to listen to it. It's a good song. Shazam that on the podcast if you want to grab it. It's by Big Wreck. Great Canadian band. Anyways, they never made it as big as they should have. I digress. We're talking about miracles. We're talking about miracles and the modern mind, miracles and the ancient mind. 
Well, one of the brightest minds of our time, of course, is Elon Musk. Uh, the new biography of Musk by Walter Isaacson has obviously dropped a little while ago. I got a copy of it, got, a, got my hands on it. And I, I read about his existential angst regarding miracles as a kid, does not believe that they are possible. And just before the break, I asked you guys what you thought. Do most modern people believe in miracles or not? Well, I'm going to sort of give you the stats in a second. Uh, even though Father Rocky likes to say that 95% of all stats are made up. These are real. These are totally real. Um, but let's go to the phones real quick first. Let's go to John Paul in the city of Orange, California, in the United States of America. Hello, John Paul. Hello, Kale. It's uh, awesome to be on the phones with you. It's good to talk to you as well. Thank you for calling. Um. Yeah, so I was listening in with my mom just now and heard you talking about if if you pulled a lot of modern Americans, would they actually mm-hmm. say that they believe in miracles? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to I wanted to say as as a current college student, I think that uh, a there's a lot of people who do believe in miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how many people would actually you know buy a lottery ticket? That in and of itself, I think, <laughs> is believing in miracles. Um, but on a more spiritual note, on a more spiritual note, I do think there are a lot of people who believe in miracles. Um, but I also heard you talking about like, you know, how many college students, um, like would actually be considered smart. And I say this as someone who goes to college at Benedictine college in Kansas. Great school. Um, Great school. Benedictine college. I, I really like it. I, I don't think that, going to college is a prerequisite to being considered smart. And I think there are a lot of people who come out of college that are very, very incredibly stupid. Hmm. Well, hopefully, hopefully that's not the case of Benedictine. And, and you obviously sound like you're, you're a very intelligent guy. John Paul, appreciate the call. Let, let me, let me deal with some of the things you said. Let, let's look at how many people actually believe in miracles. And, and, and one of the purposes, I think, of, of a higher education is, and you don't necessarily need to attend a college or university to get this skill, it's learning how to think, learning how to think critically. That's so, so important. And just assessing information. What's fake? There's so much fake news and fake uh, so-called facts out there. They're really not facts. They're falsehoods. And, and, and just having that critical mind is super, super important. And we can apply that to our faith as well. well let me tell you about miracles and modern people. The late, he, he, he just passed away a short time ago, uh, Dr. John Meyer, Father John Meyer, uh, from the University of Notre Dame, taught there for many, many years, professor of New Testament, one of the greatest scholars on Jesus of all time. And he, he wrote this multi-volume, I've got several of them on my shelf right now behind me, multi-volume work on Jesus in history called A Marginal Jew. Um, powerful, powerful stuff. And he, he says this, he, his second volume is all about Jesus and miracles. That's, that's a huge chunk of it. How does he define a miracle? I think it's important to define terms here. So a miracle is defined by Professor Meyer as, number one, an unusual, startling, or extraordinary event that is in principle perceivable by any interested and fair-minded observer. Okay, so that's number one. It's unusual, it's startling, it's extraordinary, but it is, in principle, observable by people. Number two, it finds no reasonable explanation in human abilities or in other known forces that operate in our world of time and space. And number three, 
It's an event that is the result of a special act of God doing what no human power can do. And so that, that's how Meyer defines uh, a miracle. And I, I do think that, like the, the God element at the end, that, that's the most important part, that there is, a, there is some sort of a connection, a connotation with the religious when it comes to it being a miracle, an honest-to-goodness miracle. Well, let's look at uh, some recent polls, and uh, my thanks to Greg Manette and his book, The Wrong Jesus, for uh, compiling all these stats. Uh, Gallup polls in the United States consistently show, consistently show, that people in our modern world do believe in miracles. In fact, a very high volume of people. Uh, The scholar Craig Keener has written a massive tome called Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. Some people think this is the most complete account of miracles that you can get, uh, although he's not Catholic, so I don't know if he accounts for a lot of the, a lot of the phenomenon in the church. But he, he does note some of these stats as well. So in 1989, there was a Gallup poll that concluded that 82% of people in the United States believed in miracles. So not that long ago, 1980s, maybe the greatest decade of all time. 1995, a Time Magazine poll, more than two-thirds of Americans believed in miracles. 96, one year later, 80% of medical patients believed that prayer could help in the healing process, could speed it up, maybe uh, could be responsible for a total healing. These are patients in hospitals. Uh, Let's go to the new millennium here. In 2003, Newsweek magazine said that 72% of Americans interviewed believed that God could cure people who are mortally ill and that could not be helped by science. Uh, the Pew Forum, a lot of you guys are, are familiar with the Pew Forum. Uh, they do a lot of great studies. Uh, 79% of people, so again, it's around that 80% number. 79% of those interviewed believe that miracles still occur today, just as they did in ancient times. And also really interestingly, 34% of Americans say that they personally have experienced or witnessed a miraculous healing. It either happened to them or they've seen it. That, that's a pretty large number. Uh, about you know, over a third, 34%. So, so Craig Keener talks about hundreds of millions of people worldwide. And we have to look at all parts of the, of the globe here. Worldwide, there are hundreds of millions of people who are alive today who say that they have witnessed or experienced the miraculous in terms of healings. So th- this, is, this, is, um, this, is pretty, this is a pretty substantial body uh, of numbers here. So it's, it's not to be trifled with. Um, the other thing, too, we can look at, and, and uh, Father Robert, the great Father Robert Spitzer, he's been on Relevant Radio many, many times. He, he's talked about this a lot. Um, and I've read his writings, and I've also talked about this on the show, too, the powerful uh, evidence of NDEs, near-death experiences. There, there's some absolutely stunning data from NDEs that, that really cannot be explained without reference to the supernatural world, like something outside of the natural world. And we've talked about people who have been clinically dead, who have come back to life and said, oh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's somebody left a red Converse all-star shoe on the hospital roof on, on the southwest corner. And they'll go up and check it out. And sure enough, there's a red shoe on the roof, stuff like that. Uh, they, they see things that have happened in the neighborhood, their family eating dinner, what they had for dinner while they were clinically dead on the table because... I mean, the explanation that we would give is that their souls had left their bodies for a time and got to experience some stuff uh, before they were resuscitated or, or revivified, if you will, physically. So anyways, 
here's the deal. And, and, and uh, my professor, Gary Habermas, um, he used to say this, look, if there's only one example that that's justified, that has great evidence, even if you only have one example in the entire world of a potential miracle, that's, that's, that's enough. All you need is one to show that there is more to reality as we know it than the mere physical world. So think about this. If you're, if you're a skeptic who doesn't believe in miracles, somebody like Elon Musk says that's not possible. In order for you to be actually 100% confident in your argument of skepticism, you would have to disprove. You'd have to actually disprove every single miracle claim that's out there in the modern world. And there are hundreds of millions of them. It's, it's, that's, that's, that's a tall order. But if you do believe in the miraculous, as Greg Manette says, you've only got to provide evidence for one miracle claim. Just, just, just one, just one. That's enough to upset the apple cart and, and give you, give you uh, grounds for, for pause, or at least for the plausibility of, of miracles. So that, that's really, really important. And we know that, of course, in the Catholic Church, for somebody to be beatified, uh, which is the last step before canonization, for them to be canonized, you've got to have two verified miracles that take place through the intercession of the saints in order for somebody to be canonized. And again, these, are, these can't be explainable by natural means or by known scientific means. They have to be supernatural. And there's so much data, again, even in our modern world about things like exorcisms. That's why exorcism, exorcist movies are always popular. They're just a staple. Every few years, one comes out. 50th anniversary of the, of the original exorcist movie uh, just happened recently, and we talked about it on this program. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 All right. So there's a lot of evidence for miracles in the modern world. Modern minds can can say that they believe in this without coming off as intellectually dishonest or or out to lunch. And people, a lot of people, simply aren't aware of the of the evidence for miracles in the modern world. They just simply don't know it. They think that this is all only ancient, foolish people believe this. And I want to I want to deal with that question too. The the ancient mind that what did people think at the time of Jesus? Because people are guilty of what I like to call chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. People think, you know, in this world of iPhones and Optimus bots and space shuttles, you know, we, we, we're not as gullible as the ancients were. Of course, they could be duped by alleged miracle stories that are really nothing more than natural events that people just didn't understand. That, that's what people say. So we'll let, how, do, how do you answer that? Uh, that's a really good question. But you should know, you should know that even people that didn't believe in Jesus and there were lots of people who wrote about Jesus in his time, uh, around his time. They, they knew he was a historical person. This is outside of the Bible. Jesus is not some made-up character. He's not a, it's not a fairy tale. He is legit historical. People know that Jesus existed. There's no legitimate, credited historian with a PhD who will, who will tell you, even if he doesn't believe in Jesus, he will not say Jesus didn't exist. Some crackpots out there say he never existed, but anybody who knows what they're talking about knows that Jesus existed. What's also interesting is that people who wrote about Jesus in the ancient world, they, they flat out admit that he did miracles or things that were thought to be miracles, that he was a doer of wondrous deeds as Josephus, the great Jewish historian, uh, roughly contemporaneous with Jesus. He lived from AD 37 to 180, end of the first century. He, he said that Jesus was a doer of startling deeds or, or wondrous deeds uh, in his antiquity. Now, he didn't believe in Jesus. In his Jewish antiquities, he wrote this um, chronicling the history of the Jewish people, did not believe in Jesus, but he still thought Jesus did miracles. 
Lots of other writers wrote about Jesus as well. Tomorrow on The Faith Explained, I'll tell you what the Jewish Talmud said about Jesus. But even the enemies of Jesus, even in the Gospels, the enemies of Jesus agreed there's something supernatural going on here. They just thought his powers were from the evil one or from the dark side. So scribes um, in Mark chapter 3 is a good example. Chapter 3, verse 22, they say that Jesus' powers come from the devil. And Jesus is like, "Um, guys, don't be dumb. Why would Satan bust up his own kingdom? Why <laughs> I'm doing exorcisms here. Why would Satan not want people to be, you know, possessed by demons? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, even on a, on a common sense level, it doesn't make any sense. Um, there was a pagan philosopher named Celsus, and he wrote in the year 180 AD. So this is late second century. He said that Christians get the power they seem to possess by pronouncing the names of certain daemons and incantations. It was by magic that he, Jesus, was able to do the miracles which he appears to have done. End of quote. So he doesn't deny that Jesus could do miracles. And by the way, even in the second century, third century, people were being healed in the name of Jesus. That was a very well-known phenomenon. Everybody knew about it. Everybody talked about it. But a lot of people said, well, it's because of magic. He, He went to... Uh, Egypt when he was a kid, and that's where he learned magic. He, he met this guy named David Copperfield or, or David Blaine, and he learned some street magic. And No, it's not that kind of magic, okay? So these are sort of dark spiritual arts. That, that's, that's not illusionist type of magic. That, that's what's alleged here. And so uh, tomorrow on The Faith Explained, I'll talk about the Babylonian Talmud. It's a 6th century document, but it does say stuff like this. And um, people who wrote this they were upset because a lot of Jewish people believed in Jesus as the Messiah, and they didn't think he was the Messiah. So they said a bunch of nasty stuff about him, uh, which was not historical. But um, even even it says that the, he did stupendous works. The miracles are never denied. They're only criticized. So it's important to understand that there's lots of um, historical sources, even from non-Christians, that granted that Jesus did miracles. So the church obviously says this too. Everybody agrees that Jesus was a miracle worker. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you have to, you have to ask this question. What is the evidence? You, you can't just reject miracles a priori. You can't just reject them out of hand. Say miracles aren't possible. You have to look at the evidence. If you're really going with the scientific method and, and Elon Musk says, hey, I, I, I trust science here, then you've got to look at the evidence for the miraculous even if it doesn't agree with your own worldview, the glasses through which you see the world at the moment, it may upset your apple cart, but the evidence doesn't lie. So you got to look at this. So let me, let's talk for a minute about the so-called chronological snobbery. And, and by the way, C.S. Lewis wrote an essay about sort of along these lines in 1945 called religion and science. You can try to find this uh, online, but, but we've just come through the, the Christmas season. Okay. This is a good example with respect to, to Christmas, the nativity, um, this idea that uh, you know, Jesus could be conceived uh, in the womb of a virgin. Uh, there's a star that we followed to find this guy. All, all this stuff. It, these Only primitive minds would believe this who are incredibly gullible. That's the sort of idea. Ancient peoples at the time of Jesus, they didn't have knowledge that we have today about biology, uh, reasoning, uh, philosophy, science. And as one writer said, and uh, C.S. Lewis saw this as well, that modern people 
kind of look at scientific advancements that we have today as demerits for prior generations. Well, they couldn't get to the moon, so there's people even question that, but uh, we're not going to go there today. Um, Kyrie Irving, but but we're, listen, people people look at our scientific advancements of today and say, we, we can now discount everything that older generations believed because the only thoughts we're thinking are current thoughts. What's in vogue at the moment? The only mind that you can trust is a mind from our time. And by the way, I am conveniently a member of our time, so you can trust me. That's, what, that's the way people, people think. But here's the deal. The disciples, they, they may not have studied physics at a formal, formal level. They were pretty freaked out when they saw that a man was walking on the water towards them on a boat in the middle of the night. And they knew enough about the laws of physics to say, this is kind of weird and this is not, not the usual thing. Um, the mourners, by the way, they were professional mourners. Uh, the daughter of Jairus, she's dead. And Jesus says, oh, don't worry, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. They just they split their sides laughing at this guy. They, they, they know enough about death to laugh at Jesus when he says, no, she's only sleeping. And then he brings her back to life. What about the Magi? They follow their calculations to get to Jesus. Philip and Andrew, they can do a little bit of math as well. They know there's a big, huge crowd of people, 5,000, but that's only the men, not counting the women and children, maybe 20,000 people there. Uh, A couple of fish, five loaves, and this huge crowd. The math isn't going to add up here. Mary and Martha, they know how long Lazarus has been in the tomb. Thomas knew Jesus was crucified. They were... They knew a little bit about the way reality actually worked in the world, and they were surprised by what they encountered. So here's the things. Yes, according to natural laws, these things don't usually happen. But what if, is it possible that a supernatural something or someone from outside of these natural laws reached into the picture? Reached into the picture. And and the way that people react to Jesus' miracles, it's very much the way people would react today if they they were in the presence of a miracle. Some of them were super shocked. Some of them gained faith by it. Some of it tried to explain it away as maybe coming from another source, another place. We've been hoodwinked somehow. But but this is exactly what's going on here. And ancient people weren't gullible, by the way. Ancient people were not gullible. We still don't know exactly how they built the pyramids in Giza, Egypt, without the use of hydraulics. What about the precise engineering of the Roman aqueducts, the system of water that would bring, uh, you know, water to Petra in Jordan? I mean, it's incredible. I saw this documentary on this once, the precise engineering just to get the, 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 the angles just right so that water could flow into this arid desert region from elsewhere and people could, could actually slake their thirst. It's unbelievable. So assuming that uh, the ancients would not recognize an honest-to-goodness supernatural event, is a bit of chronological snobbery, saying we're smarter than them. And I think it's, a, it's an arrogant position to take, for sure. So uh, I, think, I think there is absolutely a ton of evidence for Jesus' miracles. And it's, it definitely fits into the religious context of, of what he was all about, too. Because remember what Professor Meyer said about miracles, they, they have to fit into this religious context. And, and in this case, when it comes to Jesus, it's proof that he is the Messiah. It's proof that he is doing the stuff that the Messiah was supposed to do. And uh, even the Dead Sea Scrolls attest to this. One of the documents, and this isn't the Bible. This is just another uh, group that, that the Essenes, a group of Jews that lived in the caves near the Dead Sea and other places as well. 
They had all their own little documents. And they, they had this expectation of things that would happen when the Messiah would show up. And one of the documents that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's called the Messianic Apocalypse, 4Q521 is the fragment in question. It says, the heavens and the earth shall listen to his Messiah. He will set the prisoners free. He will open the eyes of the blind. He will raise up those who are bowed down. He shall heal the critically wounded, revive the dead, send good news to the afflicted, satisfy the poor. He shall make the hungry rich. So these are things that Jesus did. And, and the book of Isaiah prophesies the same sort of stuff. Isaiah 26, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. It's all very much in coherence with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so people people knew. And Jesus kind of is doing this stuff on purpose to show that he is the Messiah. This is exactly what you would expect when the Messiah shows up. So there, there's tons of good evidence here that we really, really have to consider. So I don't know if you guys want to ask some questions about that. Feel free to call in, 888-914-9149. So really enjoying so far this book on Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson. What were some of your favorite books, your favorite reads of 2023? Uh, a book that you'd recommend, or let's let's have a lesson from that book, even better. What what did you learn from, from this favorite book of yours or one of your favorite reads of 2023? Let me know, 888-914-9149. We will be right back with your phone calls and more on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hang tight, and I'll be right back. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. If you missed what we were talking about before, I had a great discussion on miracles in the ancient world and in the modern world as well. If you did miss it, well, guess what? We've got the podcast available for you. It'll be up uh, pretty soon after the end of the show. You can check it out on the new Relevant Radio app and also on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. If you are listening on one of those services, uh, would you please give us a, be so kind as to give us a rating and a review, an uh, honest review, if you loved it, uh, maybe you didn't, that's that's fine too. Uh, give your honest opinion. That, that helps people to discover the show. We want to reach the world uh, for Christ through the media. Uh, I don't have a marketing budget, so you guys are kind of my marketing team here. So uh, if, if we want people tuning in, um, Let's all pitch in and make it happen and spread the good word on social media. And speaking of social media, one thing that's happening that we're really, really focusing on this week is the Fast for Life. That's right, the Fast for Life. And you can use the hashtag Fast for Life uh, to gain some attraction for that online. And it's really, really important that we do this because even though Roe versus Wade was defeated recently, the battle still rages on the pro-life battle at the state level. And of course, the March for Life is taking place in Washington, D.C. on Friday, the 19th of January. It's coming up soon, and maybe you can't get there in person. Maybe you can, but you can certainly join in by Fasting for Life and using that hashtag on social media, hashtag Fast for Life. And if you go to relevantradio.com slash fast, we're going to send you a very great resource. It's a free downloadable booklet called The Choice is Love, and it'll help us answer some of those thorny pro-life questions that we get uh, from people who are honestly seeking, and it helps you to answer folks uh, who have their doubts about church teaching and the natural law with compassion. So once again, hashtag Fast for Life on social media, and go to relevantradio.com slash fast. I want to uh, tell you that Alfred there's lots of ways we can fast for life, by the way. Alfredo from Los Angeles has said this, I'm going to be extra cheerful during that day, and I'm going to promise to smile to everyone that I meet. You know, that, that's, that's, that may seem like a little thing, but it's a huge thing. And, and scientific studies have shown 
that when you smile, even if you're not in the greatest of moods, it, it does actually boost your mood. Just just using those those muscles, I think it's 26 muscles to smile. And uh, there's there's more needed for a frown. So go for the smile, and it'll actually pay off physiologically. The body educates the, the soul, I guess you, you could say, in, in so many ways. And, and so go for it. Smile and use that hashtag fast for life. And actually do it. Actually do it. Show us how you're going to do it. RelevantRadio.com slash fast. Okay, so let's go to the phones right now. One of the things I asked you about is what was your favorite book that you read in 2023 and recommend it to our listeners. Let's go to Evan, who's been patiently waiting on the line in Wisconsin Rapids in Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us on the show today, Evan. Hey, Kale. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. What's what's your Wonderful. big big read for 2023? The big read was not a huge book, but it was Rome Sweet Home, Scott hmm. Hahn's book. I, I mean, I had heard about it probably from Patrick and, and a number of other relevant radio uh, talk hosts, and I said, you know what? It's time to pick it up and read it. And boy, the best ten dollars I've ever spent. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's an I, I I've had that that book as well. I've given it to friends who are maybe checking out the claims of the Catholic Church and conversion stories are, are good because it, it, there's a lot of theology there, but it's also couched in the context of his own personal journey and that of his wife Kimberly uh, from being. Really, I don't know if you know this, but Scott Hahn was kind of—he was kind of a—and he'd admit this when he was a kid. He was kind of a juvenile delinquent. He got in some trouble, and and so you never look at this guy as a teenager and say this guy's going to be a world famous theologian. But God is a God of of grace and mercy, and He can do amazing things with our lives. And he went on a journey into the Protestant world, and of course, uh, came into the Catholic Church, and the rest is history. He's become a great theologian and apologist, Doctor Scott Hahn, and that's yeah, his conversion story. A Rome Sweet Home, published by Ignatius Press, and you can grab that online as well. Any, any other books that, that you read that, that kind of caught your caught your eye there, Evan? Well, I was working on. I went through his other book, uh, Lamb's High, Lamb's High, uh, the Lamb, oh, the Lamb, Summer, the Lamb right? Supper, mm-hmm. the Lamb Supper. Yes, that was another good one, <clears throat> which I need to reread after probably going through Revelation again, yeah. uh, because it is it's such a, a powerful and in depth. Uh, a description of the mass, uh, it, it truly gives you a better sense and appreciation for what we have as Catholics. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There, in that, there, there is a lot of stuff in that book, in the Lamb's Supper, about verses in the Book of Revelation, what they have to do with the mass. It, it, it's really well done uh, by Doctor Hahn. Hey, Evan, thank you so much for the call. Appreciate you call back anytime. That was Evan in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. All right, let's go to. Kathy in Sunnyvale, California, NoCal. Hi, Kathy. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about you? Oh, right. I'm good. I just um, have been reading the different uh, lives of the saints, and the one that was most um, enlightening was St. Anne Catherine Emmerich's vision. And when you were talking about, you know, how did the pyramids get built? Uh, reminded me of one of her visions where she saw angels paving the roads before um, the Israelites were established in around Jerusalem. And I was like, I read that and I was like, you know, that makes sense because they didn't have uh, um, sophisticated tools and there weren't a lot of them, (laughs) a lot of people to do that kind of thing. 
And in order for them to thrive, they really needed help. <laughs> and so I was like, wow. yeah. So, well, thanks. Thank you very much for that call, Kathy. And of course, uh, uh, St. Uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich uh, had a lot of mystical visions. These are private revelations, of course. So uh, even if a person's canonized and they have these private revelations, uh, you don't necessarily need to buy into that. Um, you don't need to believe in those to, to hold the Catholic faith. Uh, some people find them interesting. Um, some people doubt them. Some people buy into it. I'm, I'm just, that's something that you're going to have to figure out for yourselves, but uh, interesting. And I, and, and I must confess, um, that's, I have not read uh, her visions. I, I've heard of them, obviously, and I know that uh, I believe Mel Gibson drew heavily on that book um, when he was putting together the, the original Passion of the Christ movie. I'm still waiting for part two, the Resurrection movie. When's that coming out? He says it's coming out. And I, I don't know. I don't know if the release date has been announced. All right, let's go to our good friend Didi in Phoenix. Welcome back, Didi. How are you doing? Happy New Year to you. I don't uh, know if I talked to you I'm in the well, New Year Happy yet. New Year to you. Anyway, I, I'm hap- I'm, I was told I have to make it quick. Okay. Anyway, um, uh, it's called uh, the Liber Christal Method, uh, which means freedom through Christ. And basically, it's, writ- it's, it's, it's written by a military-trained uh, uh, person, Ph.D. Dan Schneider. And it's a guide or a manual uh, that you can carry and you can use to fight an ancient enemy, and we know who that is, with the ancient weapons of the church. And it's highly uh, recommended as well by um, um, the author, Jesse Romero. And he's the author of The Devil in the City of the Angels. Yeah. It just made yeah. me stronger. There's a lot of, there are a lot of books out there on spiritual warfare. And, and uh, this is something that, again, when we talk about modern people and, and miracles, People do question the miraculous, but but again, they, they're so interested in it as well. I find that really fascinating. And thanks, you, thank you so much for calling in, Didi. Appreciate you in Phoenix, Arizona, listening to Relevant Radio. It's one of our well, a lot of lot of great listeners. It's a great area for us out in the desert, and we try to provide a spiritual oasis here on Relevant Radio. And I got to tell you that that people are super super curious. Whether no matter what they say, they believe they're always very curious when it comes to exorcisms and uh, the existence of demons uh, as, as attested by the popularity of uh, books about this, uh, movies about exorcisms, documentaries. Uh, it just never seems to go out of style. People are very, very curious. And that does, of course, fall under uh, the label of the supernatural. And one of the great miracles of Jesus was categories of miracles were, of course, his exorcisms, which are recounted. Uh, in the Gospels. And there were other exorcists in Jesus' day as well, but what made his exorcism so different was the way in which he did them. Um, very often other exorcists would depend on these incantations from Solomon, allegedly from Solomon, who was known as a great exorcist, um, all kinds of paraphernalia. Uh, they would wave something called a bunk stick under the nose of the person. It was an aromatic root, the barris root, and uh, try to draw the demon out through the nose. And the Egyptians, that's, that's one of the reasons why they mummified uh, people the way that they did. Think of King Tut. They thought that people's spirits entered and exited the body through the nose. Maybe that's why they say, Gesundheit, God bless you, when you sneeze. And they go, oh, there goes the demon. Anyways, uh, all of these things would happen. Maybe the, the person would sneeze, and they thought that their exorcism was successful. But Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff. He simply says, shut up and get out, as we see in Mark's gospel. Uh, and he doesn't let them speak. Doesn't let, they know who he is. Uh, they have uh, supernatural knowledge about his identity. 
And they're correct, but he does not let them speak uh, because he wants people. He doesn't want them as his PR crew, number one. Uh, but, but number two, there's always a power struggle in an exorcism. This comes through in a lot of the movies as well. It, it, the, the priest, the exorcist is always trying to get the demon to give up the name because if you know someone's name, you have power over them. You s- sort of know their identity and, and it's, it's really a control struggle and Jesus isn't about to lose that battle for sure. Well, speaking of winning and losing battles, I, I do have to share with you uh, the news about who is winning so far, our playoff prediction pool. Not that there's a pool. There's no money involved. It's just for pride. And uh, I'm not winning, folks. Uh, I am neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Apparently, I'm only three and three in picking uh, this past weekend's games. Patrick Alog, who's working the phones tonight, is five and one. Sterling. And producer Jim as well, 5-1. and one. His, his only blemish was in picking the Philadelphia Eagles to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last night, which clearly didn't happen. What, what happened to Philadelphia, Jim? They were 10-1. and one. They were in the Super Bowl last year, and then they just completely imploded. What's going on? It's <laughs> a good question. I mean, they looked amazing earlier in the season. It was looking like it was going to be you know, a big battle between San Francisco and Philadelphia going into the playoffs. And... They just didn't show up last time. I mean, they, they got close in the, at the end of the first half, but then yep. they just, you know, just didn't yeah. pull it off in the second. Big changes. Uh, Patrick's only blemish was um, he picked Miami over Kansas City in the cold. Miami was too banged up. And anyways, the Chiefs put him on skates. For the first time ever, Patrick Mahomes is playing a road playoff game. He's going to go to Buffalo to face Josh Allen and the Bills. This is really the modern day Peyton versus um, Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady. Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. Great playoff matchups over the years. I'm sure there'll be many more to come. Pat McAfee made that point uh, recently on his program. I got to say, go Bills. And um, thankfully, uh, the next time there's a game, uh, there will not be a show at the same time. So I will have no spoilers during the show. I tried to watch the game on tape delay last night. Someone let us know. A friendly caller let me know what the score was. And I was hoping not to know. But I knew the Bills would win anyways, so there you go. There you go. Well, listen, it has been a wonderful show today. Thanks for joining me on the Kale Clark Show on this Tuesday. We will be back 23 hours from now, and I'll be back even sooner. Faith Explained, 1230 Central, as we go through St. Paul's letter to the Romans and a really fun Q&A on Jesus and the Talmud. Don't miss that tomorrow. Be back on the Kale Clark Show on Wednesday. Timory is up next. Jim Shaper produced Patrick Hale. took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.